what we're really trying to do at Zappos is structure ourselves more like a city and less like a traditional company. And the reason why is we believe that both innovation and resiliency uh, for our company will go up based on that. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. In these conversations, we make sense of what's next. Join me, my co-hosts, and my guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hello, everyone. It's Tina, co-host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast with Simone Cicero. Today, Simone is running the show with another co-host, Eugenio Battaglia. They're having a conversation with John Bunch, lead organizational designer and advisor to the CEO, Tony Shea at Zappos. Joining Zappos as a software developer in 2009, John later became the lead of public API and led the implementation of Zappos shift to holacracy and self-organization. Coming out of the rollout of holacracy, he transitioned to leading internal infrastructure and systems design. In the conversation, they talk about how Zappos, through the application of holacracy and market-based dynamics, is becoming a thriving entrepreneurial organization. They use the city as a metaphor for the high-diversity, high-productivity organization that Zappos strives to be, based on shared enabling services and micro-enterprising. They also explore the concept of the triangle of accountability that guides the organizational development and the specific hiring process that helps to make sure that people who join the company are aligned with the values and ways of working applied in Zappos. Enjoy this inspirational and deeply informative conversation on one of the most pioneering organizations of today. On July 23rd, Boundless is hosting a free one-day online event, re-inviting all our podcast guests to participate in a sense-making session. To book your spot and learn how to support this work, please go to www.platformdesigntoolkit.com and click on the tab Thinking to find the event page. Now let's jump into the episode with John Bunch. I'm so excited today to start this conversation with John from Zappos. Hello. And uh, uh, with my uh, co-host uh, Eugenio today. Hello, everyone. Um, so today we're going to go, uh, we're going to explore, let's say, uh, starting from the story of uh, one of these companies, the companies that are uh, most pioneering, let's say, in terms of how they organize and reorganize themselves. And John, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, when we, start, uh, we started preparing this conversation, we, we agreed that uh, uh, the question that Zappos also is trying to answer is uh, the question that, uh, that basically uh, puts us, uh, you know, in front of this transformation that we are seeing from uh, the age of hierarchies and, and, and most traditional markets into this age of uh, networks. So the question we, we can start from, you know, uh, it's in your experience, uh, uh, how can uh, companies uh, move away from the traditions of hierarchies and instead learn how to leverage uh, the age of networks? Yeah, so for me, that question really gets to um, first the thought that no matter whether how you structure your company, networks will exist. So even if you're structured as a very traditional hierarchy, networks exist. Um, networks of connections between people and, and their personal connections, uh, different business connections or how they work together, these networks exist. So the question is really, given that they exist, how can you make the most of them? Um, and so 
you know, at Zappos, we have a very specific way that we're approaching that question and a very specific why uh, we think that it's important to approach that question. But I think I would just start with the realization that networks exist. Um, and so I think the, the question we need to be asking ourselves is how do we um, structure our company um, to have the optimal uh, setup for work to maximize the output of, uh, of the work, um, of the effectiveness and the impact of the work. Um, and my belief is that uh, really trying to understand the optimal, optimal network um, and leveraging cross-functional teams um, to uh, really align around the impact of whatever the team is trying to do is how you should structure the work. And uh, do, do you do you believe that uh, we are being confronted with uh, this uh, pressure to restructure the work uh, to some extent because uh, the, the drivers and let's say the technological drivers and the um, expectations, let's say, of the uh, entities uh, uh, like the consumers in the market are asking us to organize the business in a different way, or, or, or maybe the drivers are more internal to the organization. What are the drivers to this transition from your point of view? I think the, the, the drivers of anything um, start with the customers. Um, and I think business today is evolving and changing at a faster and faster rate. If you look at the um, some of the research that we've looked at is that the lifespan of the companies on the S&P 500 or any stock market index uh, is going down. So companies are dying at a faster and faster rate. And what that shows is innovation is speeding up uh, in the world. And so I think one of the primary drivers is in order to be a long lasting company, um, and that's really what my purpose is at Zappos, is to try to make sure that we're around in a thousand years. Um, and when you think about being around in a thousand years, whatever your business started at as is probably not going to be around in a thousand years. So you have to innovate. Um, and that speed of how fast you need to innovate is increasing. Um, and so what that puts pressure on is how do you evolve um, in in and organize within a company quickly to respond to new market uh, demands or new market opportunities. Um, and, and I think there, the, the other research that we really uh, lead on at Zappos is um, research shows that every time the size of a city doubles, productivity per resident goes up by 15%. So as cities grow, people actually become more productive on a, on a per resident basis. But the exact opposite thing happens inside of companies. Every time the size of a company doubles, generally productivity per employee goes down. Um, and so what we're really trying to do at Zappos is structure ourselves more like a city and less like a traditional company. And the reason why is we believe that um, both innovation and resiliency uh, for our company uh, will go up based on that.
Mm-hmm. And that's very interesting. I think you are um, you're giving us some kind of direction uh, to uh, look into an organization as a complex system. Now, when you talk about the city, why the city productivity grows, you know, uh, better than traditional uh, hierarchies, it's essentially because the city is a kind of chaotic complex oriented artifact you know why why traditional organizations are much you know much more uh complicated let's say so i, I totally get uh, this point and uh, one, one reflection that I, that i want to ask you to do it's uh, why then uh, market dynamics so Uh, when you engra- in, engage into this network transformation, you have these small entities. And why do you guys uh, uh, feel there is a value in, uh, uh, for example, in injecting uh, this uh, idea of pervasive profit and loss inside the organization? So actually trans- tra- transforming it into a marketplace uh, more than just a network. Yeah, so... Just to give a little history on where we've come from and where we're at now, um, we really started thinking about evolving how we organize um, around six or seven years ago. Um, and at that time, this is when some of the research that we were looking into about cities um, got, our, got our mental juices flowing. And what we really emerged from that with is the concept that we wanted to become a self-organized um, company. Um, so one where people can respond to, uh, to tensions or opportunities um, by self-organizing around the work. And this is a property that exists within, uh, within cities um, and other complex uh, systems. Um, and so, uh, so we started down this path of uh, we implemented a system called Holacracy, which maybe some of your uh, listeners are familiar with, which... Uh, is a methodology to help move towards self-organization. Um, and there's a lot about that methodology that we uh, like and we still operate with Holacracy today. One of the things that we uh, realized was not really working well for us was out of the box in Holacracy, um, uh, uh, resource allocation or budget uh, go, gets passed top down. So there's a hierarchy of circles and budget or resource allocation goes from the top down to the bottom. Um, and we realized like Tony as our CEO really had no idea how much, you know, a circle that was four layers down should uh, have to do their work. Um, and so this was very much leveraging networks. And what we realized is we wanted to move, sorry, leveraging hierarchies. And what we realized is we really wanted to move more towards networks. Um, and so we looked at how does networked resource allocation work in the real world? Um, and how it works in the real world is by leveraging market-based principles um, to, to allocate capital effectively, efficiently, and in an innovative way. And I think that's why one of the, one of the reasons why we see this, uh, this exponentiality within cities. And when we looked for a model, we're not trying to recreate any wheels at Zappos. What we're trying to do is understand these Uh, these patterns that have emerged in society over the course of millennium um, and leverage those patterns within inside a company. And so that's more or less why we've moved uh, into this concept of what we call market-based dynamics at Zappos. Good, good. Uh, Eugenio, do you have a question, right? 
Yeah, I was wondering, um, yeah, what's your take on the, on the right amount of constraints that um, enable the self-organization and how does uh, match the direction that the leadership wants to, um, to impose, but in a way that is not too directive? Um, how does this relate to the hierarchies especially? Yeah. So, uh, you know, what was interesting um, as we moved into holacracy um, and, and really started to introduce this idea of self-organization uh, within our company, one of the things that, uh, you know, there were, there were different people on the spectrum, um, uh, employees on different parts of the spectrum of, of how much they really move towards that or, or grasp onto it. Um, but one of the interesting patterns I saw with some people is that they, um, what they heard when, when they heard self-organization is that um, I get to work on whatever I think is right to work on, or I get to, um, uh, I get, you know, I'm a sensor for the organization and whatever I think is the best thing to do is the best thing for me to do. Um, and to me, I mean, this is a type of self, this kind of thought process is a type of self-organization. Um, but I think if you look at any individual within the organization, they lack oftentimes the full context of, uh, of other things that are going on in the organization. And I think this is really where constraints come in. So not necessarily just working on everything, but working within some constraints uh, to maximize impact and productivity. And so for us at Zappos, and this is something that has kind of been developed and evolved over the course of uh, a couple of years, but um, we have something called the triangle of accountability. And why it's called the triangle is because it has three sides, but it really speaks to uh, our constraints uh, that we want everybody to work within at Zappos. Um, and so the three sides are, um, the first one is our core, these are in no particular order, they're all equally important, um, but the first one is our core values. So we have 10 core values, uh, anything that anybody that knows about Zappos knows that we eat, uh, drink, uh, and breathe our core values. Um, and so we want everybody working at Zappos, everything that they do, do should be aligned uh, with those core values. So that's number one. Uh, number two is uh, that everything that we do needs to have customer service as a differentiator. Um, and for me, this is really just part of our brand uh, as a company. So one of the things that we are known for is incredible customer service within our e-commerce business. Um, and, and we really want that brand stance to be transferred over into anything that we do, both internally and externally. So even if your customers are internal customers, uh, one of the things that we want to align around is that everybody needs to deliver wow through service, um, as we call it. So that's the second part of the triangle. Uh, and the third part of the triangle is that every uh, team needs to balance what we call balance their P&L. So uh, each team is like a small business um, and needs to uh, not spend more money than they take in from their customers. Um, and, and another way of saying this is every team needs to be fiscally responsible. Um, and so these are the three constraints uh, that 
we like to think of as enabling constraints. Um, and so getting back to that original uh, idea of self-organization, it's self-organizing within these constraints. So if you think the best thing that I can be doing to help the organization is X, um, you know, you have full ability to pursue X as long as it uh, aligns with our core values. Uh, X is the way that you're doing it is delivering wow service and there's somebody that's willing to pay you either internally or externally to provide X service. Um, and so that's how we think about uh, our ecosystem and how to enable self-organization within Zappos. John, this is extremely in, in interesting. Uh, John, do you have a follow-up question? No, I just wanted to thank you. <laughs> uh, that's it, that's it. They are really, really interesting indeed because uh, I think you touched so many things in five minutes. So one th one thing is uh, the brand as uh, to some extent the thing that gives the coherence to this uh, you know most self organizing system you know because you said of course the core values are very important I would say both the core values and the brand but the brand is what the customer recognizes no so as something coherent you know and 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 this is very interesting so to some extent we are saying if you embrace full self-organizing in an organization, then the brand becomes really, really important. And it's your, your kind of uh, flag, the flag that you, you bring to the, to, the, to the market, to the, to the society at some point. And, and that's very interesting, I believe. And so, but I have another couple of questions. Let's start from, from one that I think is really uh, uh, key. Uh, when you say everything needs to have this balanced uh, profit and loss, um, in your experience, did you have any moment in which you said, uh, no, this doesn't apply to that. No, we really need this, even if it doesn't have any profit or loss. Um, there are some things. So uh, I guess going back to thinking about an organization as a city, when you think about a city, um, not everything that happens, um, there's a direct customer payment for. Um, and so, uh, for instance, there, the one of the functions of a government is... Uh, funding, um, fund, taking tax revenue and funding certain uh, things for the good of the city. So these can be anything from infrastructure, so like roads uh, uh, and courts and the legal system um, to, uh, to, you know, maybe some charity or, or, or something that is for the public benefit. Um, and we've brought that same uh, construct within uh, within Zappos, where uh, we have a group that is uh, called Funded Shared Services. Um, so these are services that, uh, regardless of who you are within the organization, you can utilize. Um, but those services still have their own profit and loss. It's just the way that they get funded to do whatever it is that they do. Um, is uh, is through kind of the quote unquote government. Um, so these are things like uh, like HR and compliance functions, um, things like our technical infrastructure. So uh, you know the the technical like providing computers to every employee or keeping up the internet uh, on our campus or even having a campus to begin with, we see as uh, part of the part of the infrastructure. So there's that. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the other thing is, uh, you know, at Zappos, 
we we encourage people to pursue their passions. And so uh, oftentimes people might work on behalf of some idea um, just in kind of their spare time, um, even if they don't have any um, official resources allocated to something to try to kind of get it off the ground. Similar to how if you uh, if you had an idea for a business um, uh, in the outside world, you might not the first thing you do might not be going and looking for funding. It may be, you know, doing market research, or it may be, uh, it may be, you know, starting up a website or going ahead and producing your first product. And it only, you know, it doesn't really even take any money to do so, but you're kind of bootstrapping your own business. And so we also see that pattern uh, within within Zappos where people have an idea and, and, you know, they they try to get it a little bit off the ground before they go out and look for an official customer or official funding. And we encourage that kind of behavior. That's that's really interesting. Um, did you feel did, do you feel like, you know, because when you speak, when you speak about this idea of uh, infrastructure no, and then and, and this uh, share, the fund, fund the shared services, are you do you think that at some point you're going to tax your micro enterprises and uh, maybe even at some point in the future to create your own internal monetary system like a government would do? Uh, it's not sometime in the future. It's, uh, it's already happened. Um, so, yeah, we have, a, we have a system for that, um, which is essentially um, uh, that every, uh, every circle within Zappos has a charge for their people costs. So how much the people within their, their team uh, cost. And within, we actually don't charge the true cost of the people uh, to the circle. We charge more than that. Um, and one of the reasons why we charge more than that is uh, to bring in revenue to uh, help pay for, uh, for some of these, uh, these services. Um, and so, yeah, we really, we really look at, um, we really are trying to mimic uh, a lot of, a lot of um, structures that uh, governments and, and cities uh, utilize for how we structure internally. That's amazing. And and uh, and uh, what kind of structures uh, are part of these uh, uh, shared uh, services? Uh, what kind of? Uh, I would say the question more specifically is: I understand that your organization is radically modular, radically divisional, let's say, or at least it's trying to be radically divisional. Uh, so what my question is: What are these uh, integrated functional structures uh, that you actually found and run with these uh, kind of infrastructural, uh, of, um, you know, uh, system? Uh, you know, you, you mentioned I think legal or uh, HR, uh, can you give us a little bit more details on how this works and what services are part of this uh, uh, foundational infrastructural system? Yeah, so I, I think the perfect example is our compliance function. So, um, uh, you know, we have, as a part of a publicly traded company, we have to maintain our compliance with federal and state laws. Um, and. Uh, and so regardless of anything else, we have to do that. Uh, it's not a want to do, it's a have to do. Um, and, and beyond that, I mean, if you're thinking about a, a, a team within Zappos, uh, a small business, um, 
if if they had to officially pay for the compliance function, they may not see the value that 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 function adds directly to uh, their group um, uh, because it's kind of a broader uh, company value that gets added. And so, um, you know, I, I don't really think that it makes sense to give teams the option of having compliance functions or not. It's really a required function. Um, and so it's kind of the perfect candidate to put in this funded shared services, uh, funded shared services model. Um, the other one is, you know, one where you might need um, a little centralized control. So, um, so legal as an example is one where, uh, you know, we need there to be kind of a central place for all contracts and things like that to get run um, in order to, uh, there, there's a, um, there's a risk mitigation uh, factor there. Um, and so we don't just want anybody being able to sign contracts based uh, for Zappos. We need there to be some control over that. Um, and so that's another good candidate for uh, this funded shared services model. Um, but even within that, there is the possibility of uh, teams leveraging services outside of that. So um, uh, I'll give legal as an example. Even if there is a funded shared service like legal, um, if you want as a as a group within Zappos, if you want some sort of um, uh, higher, like let's say you went to legal and and had a request and they said, okay, we're going to only be able to get that to you uh, a month from now. Um, you would be able to, and, and that didn't work for your timeline. One of the things that you could do is uh, find other people to help you do that work. So maybe there's, and there actually are some other people with inside the ecosystem that have some legal knowledge, or uh, maybe you contract somebody outside the organization to help you with whatever, maybe it's a contract that you need to get worked on. Um, to help you with that. Um, but then once all that work is done, it still has to flow through kind of the legal approval process. But by leveraging outside entities, you're able to speed up the work and just kind of have the final uh, pass through go through that, that shared service. So even within kind of this centralized control model that, uh, that exists in, in that part of the organization, we still look to leverage uh, market-based principles um, to uh, to help uh, to help you know make sure that everything is uh, going as fast as possible. That's that's intriguing, uh, really. And and uh, the natural question that uh, that comes up to my mind is, uh, as this system resembles a lot this um, the, this governance models, so not this government's model. Sorry. Uh, is there also a formal democratic governance process? So is there a way, for, 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 for example, for employees to amend the system uh, or uh, it's more like a benevolent dictatorship, like where maybe Tony or you or someone else comes up with new ideas? Uh, so who is that reforms the system? Who is taking these you know, dedicated decisions about how do we manage this complex entrepreneurial ecosystem that you're trying to build? Yeah, so we still use holacracy uh, at Zappos for our governance. Um, so that's the the quick answer is yes. Um, it's not democratic; uh, it's holocratic. Um, it's so it's not like we vote on every uh, specific 
you know, decision or somebody can bring a proposal and then there's a company-wide vote. Um, uh, it runs holocratically, but essentially, um, you know, that means that, and without diving too much into the, the mechanics of holacracy, um, every circle has a lead and a, what, what's called a lead link and a rep link. So a rep link is a representative from a group to represent their tensions in the broader group. And so everybody has a voice through their rep link. Um, and so, um, so they can, uh, if they have an idea for a change in structure or a new policy, um, they can, uh, they can get that processed via their rep link, uh, taking on that tension or, uh, any individual can also request an invite uh, to any governance meeting. So they can also just say, I'd like, I have this idea, I'd like to request an invite. Um, and, uh, and for the most part, um, anybody that requests an invite to come to a meeting at Zappos uh, is granted that, even if it's at the broadest circle uh, at Zappos. Very interesting. Uh, Eugenio, you have a question, I, I, I guess, right? I was wondering, and, and this uh, notion of uh, hiring the right people, making sure that the culture that you set will eventually attract the right people. Um, how does notion resonate with you? And how do you actually hire people? How do you make sure that in hiring people, you get to attract, um, you don't spend them too much time down the road to, to actually align them in, with, the, with the current culture? It's yeah. like, like like to who you you uh, give this uh, citizenship, you know, this uh, <laughs> system. Yeah, that's a really that I've I've actually not thought of it that way. Uh, who who you give citizenship to? <clears throat> um, but yeah, our our hiring practices were really set up um, from close to day one within Zappos. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, uh, it, and so these predate even a lot of what we've been talking about today, holacracy and market-based dynamics and so forth. Um, but, you know, Tony, our CEO, he wrote a book called Delivering Happiness, where he talks a lot about, uh, kind of this, uh, the, the origin story of Zappos. One of the things that he talks about in the book is, uh, the hiring, uh, practices at, at Zappos. And so... First and foremost, kind of the number one hiring practice at Zappos is um, regardless of the position, um, there are two interviews that happen. One is for technical fit um, and the other is for culture fit. Um, and if either of those two uh, interviews do not go well or the people who are doing them do not think that this person would be a good fit at Zappos, then it's a no. So what this means is Somebody could be a rock star at whatever it is that, you know, the position is open for. Say it's a software developer, a rock star software developer. But if in the, the culture interview, um, they find that maybe there are some red flags around the culture, then the answer to are we going to hire them is no. So that's kind of the first practice. Um, you know, along with that practice, we also, so we hire for culture, we also fire for culture. So once somebody gets in, um, you know, we have a process that, uh, where people, uh, if they're doing something that is misaligned with the culture can be terminated, uh, for that again, even if there's no other performance, uh, challenges, uh, with the person. 
So that's kind of, those go hand in hand. The other thing, uh, as far as it, it goes to helping um, uh, uh, make sure that there's a good fit with the culture, we invest a lot into new hire training. Uh, so once somebody does come on, um, each employee goes through uh, a month-long uh, new hire training process. And this is everybody, uh, there are no exceptions to this rule. Um, and the month-long training process uh, really helps people, amongst other things, to uh, understand uh, the core values um, and really get a good sense for what they are. Um, and at the end of that new hire training process, uh, everybody is given an offer to quit the company. So we actually pay people uh, if you're in new hire training, we'll pay you. And I think it started as like uh, a, a week's worth of pay or maybe a month's worth of pay, but now it's gone up to, um, I'd have to check, but something like three months worth of pay um, uh, to quit Zappos. So, um, and the reason why we do that, it might sound crazy, like you just spent all this money to hire somebody, you know, maybe something that was a long recruiting process. You found what you thought was a good fit. Um, and then right away, you're going to offer them three months salary to, to leave. That sounds crazy. But the reason is, is because we really want people at Zappos who are uh, committed to what we're trying to do and uh, aligned with our core values. That sounds crazy, really. But uh, I, I, I think uh, it's very much aligned with uh, this uh, very pr process. No? So basically, it looks like you invite someone to become citizen of your kingdom and then you figure out even if it's a staff that's not the right person to have in your in your city so you you may want to spend some money to get them you know back into where they're coming from so i i really i think i really uh, understand why uh, so uh let's move into another shade another nuance of this conversation uh, uh, which is much more related to growth hmm? and related to uh you know growing a business at the end of the day so I, I guess that also Zappos has this in mind, you know, when, when they think about why we transform the organization into a self-organizing system, because maybe you guys want to create some new business, you want to grow the business, you want to evolve the business. And, uh, and uh, my question is, uh, normally when we, when we talk about uh, marketplaces like Zappos or in general digital companies, uh, it's all about leverage. You know, it's all about uh, doing more with less employees and aggregating markets and and you know, uh, having, you know, creating these network effects and and and, and growth dynamics. Uh, while when I was looking at uh, at your video lately, uh, you mentioned this amazing project, uh, Adaptive, you know, Zappos Adaptive, uh, which looks like a way to expand the business that is a bit more thoughtful, I would say, uh, but it's still a very interesting market opportunity because if I'm not wrong, in the video, you mentioned something like 50 million uh, US citizens that have, you know, adaptive is essentially from all I understand providing uh, clothing and solutions uh, for uh, for um, uh, people with disabilities. So, so my question is, how do you see the role of... Uh, self-organizing systems in generating new engines of growth uh, for the company and how also this uh, uh, um, affects the typical, for example, employee to revenue relationship? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I think Zappos Adaptive is a great example of somebody identifying customer needs um, and uh, creating something to help uh, both address those customer needs and provide revenue uh, for Zappos, revenue uh, uh, and profit for Zappos. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great story, and you know I think it's great that. Uh, we're doing something uh, for the special needs community um, uh, within the U.S. Um, as far as creating new growth, I, you know, I think the 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 mental model that I really like to think about is anti fragility, um, and so I think most people uh, think about the goal being we want to create as much growth as possible. But actually at Zappos, what we're trying to create is the most uh, anti-fragility. So let me uh, explain that concept, um, which by the way, comes from a book uh, from uh, Nassim Tlaib. Um, highly suggest reading it if, if you haven't. Um, but the idea is that, um, you know, a lot of people optimize for growth. Um, but what sometimes that doesn't optimize for uh, is uh, resiliency. Um, and so, uh, you know, what we really want within organizations is to be resilient. And anti-fragility really takes that one step further where um, the concept of anti-fragility is when there is a stress put on a system, that system can actually grow or become stronger from whatever that stress is. Um, and so you can think about it like somebody taking a punch, um, but instead of getting hurt, actually getting stronger from it. Um, and so that's really what we're trying to do. And one way to do that um, is to increase our diversity uh, within the organization. So instead of just having one business line, uh, having many different business lines or different ways that we are uh, providing value into the organization. Because uh, if, you know, right now, uh, and, and I will say right now, our biggest uh, by far business line is our e-commerce business, which is what we're known for. Um, and so if something happens to that e-commerce business, we need to be able to adapt and we need to be able to uh, move forward if we want to be around in a thousand years. Um, and so having different lines of business, different ways, different customers and ways that we're providing that value uh, is crucial to doing that. Um, so to become a resilient or anti-fragile organization, it's imperative for us to have uh, diversity of business. And that's something that we're trying to build. Uh, and you see outputs like uh, Zappos Adaptive uh, and, and others uh, that are doing that. That's great. Um... Um, so before you know this, this another this, this other point on anti fragility, it's really interesting and it brings a lot of new ideas to, to, for questions. But uh, I want to piggyback on Taleb's uh, um, concepts uh, because uh, because it makes uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And he is also famous for this idea of uh, having skin in the game. And and so my question is, um, as your employees are asked to some extent to be. Uh, balance in profit and loss to create sustainable businesses. Do they also have skin in the game? Uh, you know, basically, do they own, for example, part of the new ventures that uh, they create uh, inside uh, Zappos? Well, we're moving in a direction um, that is, is in that direction. Um, and so 
Right now, uh, compensation at Zappos, so how people get compensated, runs, I would say, relatively traditionally, where uh, we have a compensation committee, and every so often they look at what a person is doing and uh, what the market rate for those skills, whatever the skills are that they're doing. Um, they look at that and they assess what the person's compensation should be and if they uh, merit a raise, for instance. Um, and so this is similar to how most companies do it. The only difference is, you know, most companies have this traditional hierarchy. So how people move up, uh, oftentimes they need to, uh, you know, kind of become whatever role their boss is to move up uh, and get a, get a promotion. In our case, you know, it could be taking on new roles outside of the circle uh, that you uh, were hired in for. Um, but where we're moving to uh, is trying to get more to what we call a 50-50 comp split model, which is essentially this idea that your circle is a small business um, and you have revenue uh, and expenses in your, in your business. Um, and then at the end of the day, you have some profit uh, into your business. Um, and one of the things that you might want to do with some of that, that profit is uh, disperse it out to the people, your circle members who have helped you uh, gain that profit just as a business would. Um, and so, uh, but at the same time, Zappos as an entity needs to create profit for our shareholders, uh, which is essentially uh, Amazon, where we're, uh, we were acquired by Amazon in 2009. Um, and we need to show profit to Amazon. And so it's just actually how the math works out uh, traditionally is that um, for every dollar that we pay an employee, we tend to get about a dollar worth of profit uh, to uh, the organization. Um, and so we're extending that model where if your circle has profit, you have the ability to uh, split that 50-50 between kind of like a bonus or employee compensation um, and to the profit of the company. And so in that way, uh, we're encouraging people to have skin in the game where, you know, if they're, uh, if they're working on some, some new business and that new business, whether it be serving internal or external customers, does really, really well, they directly can benefit from that value that they've created. So, so that happens in, at the circle level, and also at the team level to some extent. Yeah, yeah, at the circle level. But remember um, that people may be a part of many, many different circles at Zappos. So right. you, you might be receiving uh, some portion of your compensation from circle A and then a different portion from circle B and so forth. And do you foresee the idea that an employee can also create a new unit or circle? Yeah. Uh, so, and, and it's super easy to do so uh, in the current context. Uh, people can just propose a new circle and essentially by doing so, they've, they've started a, a new small business. Um, and we've also seen <laughs> an interesting pattern emerge um, uh, with what are called circles of one where a person kind of spins up a new circle, which is they're kind of like an independent contractor. They're their own entity within Zappos. You know, they don't have any other circle members um, and they're just providing value to different areas 
of of the company. Um, and all they have to make sure that they can do is cover their people cost or their cost to the organization uh, by uh, the service agreements that they have with with the rest of the organization. Great, great. Uh, I see that uh, there are some parallels also with this, uh, our uh, Chinese friends of at higher, no? that uh, our listeners, I think they're getting used to because we tend to uh, refer to them quite often. Um, so that's, uh, that leads me to another question that uh, um, I think I want to share with you that is, uh, once you move into this very entrepreneurial um, context, no? where you basically have uh, this organization that makes it possible for people to start new ventures and provides background, you know, backing services like uh, support services, like you mentioned. Uh, and and uh, uh, then the question that comes to my, to my mind is how do you keep someone uh, to belong to your organization? No, because they are pretty much entrepreneurial, so they could be sustainable even on the market. No, so, so that, and, and also I think you in some videos, you are pointing out to a direction where you think that uh, your circles uh, will need to do more business with the outside. No, so, so, so the question that comes to my mind is then where, where is the identity of the organization? Where, where are the boundaries of the organization? Uh, and especially in, in one organization like Zappos that is del- deliberately saying, you know, we're, we are building an, an organization for the next a thousand years. You know? so, so it looks like there is a strong identity, values, brand. Also, Zappos is one of the most recognizable brands. Um, so, so the question is really, what do you see uh, happening to the identity of the organization through this revolution that you are putting in, 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 in motion? Yeah, I think the answer to that is that puts pressure on us. The idea that an employee could go and leave and, you know, if they're strongly entrepreneurial, can open up, up a business outside of Zappos um, is true. And it puts pressure on us as an organization, as an entity, to make sure that we are providing enough value to our employees uh, to make them choose to stay within the walls of Zappos rather than go out on the outside of the walls of Zappos. And so what value are we providing? So I, I think there's some in the uh, in the culture and the core values, right? Like we want working at Zappos to be a fun, inspiring uh, opportunity. Um, and so, you know, for me, I've worked at Zappos for 10 years um, and I have always felt like working at Zappos was, uh, was something that I found a lot of passion in. And so, you know, that has been something that has retained me over the years and, and so for many other people. Um, but also we need to provide other services that, that help make people help make it easy for people to get businesses off the ground. So things like, uh, and these are things that we currently have. So things like training, uh, and mentorship on entrepreneurship, um, uh, uh, you know, service talked about funded shared services, uh, internal service providers that make it easy to start a business where, you know, when you go out on your own, you may not realize it, but there are a lot of things that it takes to run a business, um, which can be a good learning opportunity, but also is a challenge. 
So, you know, I think the way that we think about that question uh, at Zappos is we have to be providing enough value as an organization for people to choose uh, to become part of the become part or stay part of the Zappos ecosystem, because there is always the option for people to go outside and and uh, and do whatever they're doing uh, in the outside world. And, and what is the impact on the brand, uh, John? So, so again, Zappos is such a famous company in terms of brand, you know. Uh, and so, uh, the question that that, that 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 comes to my mind is: uh, uh, Do you see these new companies that uh, that start new ventures that start inside Zappos and maybe can stay as part of Zappos ecosystem to share the same brand uh, always? Or, or maybe there are some cases in which even the brand is something that you can sacrifice. Uh, uh, on the altar, let's say, of uh, a very much uh, anti-fragile and self-organizing organization. And, and, and then maybe there's a further question, a further reflection that I offer is, if the brands get uh, sacrificed, let's say, what really makes Zappos in this case? Yeah, um, I guess I would go back to the triangle of accountability that we talked about before, uh, which is to say everything that you do needs to have customer service as a differentiator and be aligned with our brand. Um, so that's not something that we're willing to sacrifice. Um, and I, I think it's a, it, going back to your previous question, that is a value added benefit to, uh, to small businesses that are starting up at Zappos. So uh, for instance, I helped to start one uh, called Zappos Expertise. Uh, you can go to zapposexpertise.com to check it out. But it's a uh, it's essentially a consulting uh, arm within Zappos where we have these uh, internal experts on whatever it is, whether it be marketing or uh, or customer service or technology. Um, and we want to partner with other organizations and help to bring that those expert internal experts to your company. Um, and it's called Zappos Expertise um, because, uh, among other things, we want to be able to leverage that brand. And, and we want people to know um, that we are going to do our best to try to wow you as a, a client of Zappos Expertise. Um, and that brand means something, uh, you know, uh, within the world. And so uh, it would be foolish of us not to leverage the brand. And, and that's one of the one of the benefits of being an entrepreneur within Zappos is that you have that big name uh, behind you. Mm -hmm. But then to some extent, uh, let's say that the brand becomes the organization. No? So it becomes a representative of the core values that you guys want to see in the world. So to some extent, whoever in the world that is uh, impersonating, embodying those 10 values, uh, if I'm not wrong, and, and uh, it's open to resonate with your brand and it, it has a balance of profit and loss, so it's a sustainable business, can be part of the Zappos family, or, or maybe it is, uh, to some extent, part of the Zappos family, and it's just a matter of getting them to use uh, and to participate to the, the systemic, uh, you know, the, the, the systemic uh, network that you are putting in place, right? Yeah. So uh, I think is your question that companies outside of Zappos could be exactly, doing all you know? of So that's yeah. the thing, you know, if you are, if you are transitioning towards becoming a, an ecosystemic organization yeah. and what makes the difference is your brand, your values and, and being a sustainable business, it means that pretty much everybody that is resonant with your values and your brand uh, and has a balanced business 
can be part of the ecosystem. So the matter is, how do you make them part of the ecosystem? Yeah. What would it mean? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question, and it's certainly something that we've thought about. Um, and and what it really points towards is maybe some sort of uh, licensing or um, some sort of some way of plugging external companies into the Zappos uh, platform. Um, and we've thought about that. I, I don't think we have progressed enough to really plug people in yet, but it certainly is something we see down the line as a possibility. Um, we would certainly need uh, some systems and processes put in place to uh, continually check whether those external partners were staying within the triangle of accountability. Um, and, and that's just something we haven't had time to uh, prioritize working on yet, uh, but certainly something uh, you know I see as a possibility in the future. That's very interesting. You know, it basically marks the transition from platforms of uh, consumers and, and producers or suppliers and, and, and consumers into platforms of uh, uh, organizing to some extent, platforms of entrepreneurship, no? And it's really, really interesting. Uh, John, is there anything else that uh, you believe uh, it's really important to share in terms of your process, your story, something that you believe other companies need to understand uh, to really be attracted towards this transformation that you guys seem to be pushing so passionately? Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my reflection on that would be uh, stepping into this has a, a lot of opportunity to really help evolve and push forward your company. Um, and also, it's hard. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about uh, today are new ways of working and new ways of contextualizing work within an organization. And uh, and these are things that, you know, we can sit on your podcast and maybe make all the sense in the world. But as a, as an employee within the organization, these are these are hard concepts to grasp um, and hard concepts to uh, to grow and learn into. So we've been uh, at market-based dynamics for two years, at Holacracy for something like five years. Um, and so uh, so we're on a long journey to do this. Um, and, you know, one of our core values is embrace and drive change. So it's it's really core to who we are that we expect employees to, um, to really embrace and, and help to drive changes forward. Um, and at the same time, it's just really hard. Uh, and so I, I guess the other thing I would say to listeners is if you're thinking about doing even a small uh, portion or, or a small experiment in, in this direction, you have to understand that, uh, that you know, there are really some great benefits and also it's something you have to uh, commit uh, to to working towards over a, a span of, of, uh, of potentially a, a number of years, depending on, you know, how big the change is that you're, you're thinking about doing. Um, so, yeah, that's something also I don't think we've touched on. Great. Uh, great. Uh, are, are you enthusiastic about this, uh, John? Uh, yeah, very enthusiastic. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's a model that, um, that has the possibility of really transforming uh, the way that the world works. Um, and so it's really exciting 
uh, to be on the forefront and to be at an organization uh, that dares to uh, dares to uh, innovate and change. It certainly is. I think if if I base uh, if we base on the all the questions that we raised in this amazing conversation, it certainly is. Uh, uh, you know, I hint that uh, this is this direction is the future of organizing. John, it was amazing to have you in this conversation. I think our listeners also uh, will enjoy uh, so much. Uh, so uh, again, thanks very much for being with us tonight today. Thank you. Thank you, Simone. Thank you for listening to Boundaryless Conversation Podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media and subscribe to our podcast by looking up for Boundaryless Conversation Podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for more general research updates, where you can also find opportunities for learning and free tools for you and your team to design platform strategies in these turbulent times. This podcast has been brought to you by our research sponsor, Intesa San Paolo. We want to also thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.